Hello, welcome and kumusta. My name is Hal and I am your occupational therapist and welcome to my podcast entitled OT Conversations. This is a podcast about occupational therapy and any other topics relating to the field, be it medical foundations or philosophical foundations, some of my personal and professional opinions and point of view. I am hoping that through this podcast, I'll be able to help out occupational therapy students and clinicians to navigate their way through their clinical practice involving occupational therapy. In this episode, I'd like to talk to you about the cognitive disability frame of reference. So, cognition is a topic that is always very, very popular with occupational therapists. If you ask an occupational therapist what would they want to learn about, they'll talk about the stroke, neurology, hands, and cognition. Cognition will always be in the lines of, of special interest. Now, we are aware of cognition, and there are lots of information about cognition, the processes, the basic information about it. But the question is, so what? Isn't it? That's the big question. What do you do with cognition? And it means when it comes to retraining and intervention, this is one frame of reference that I find to be very, very useful and very, very practical as well. So with cognition... There are different types of frames of reference. In in the United Kingdom, what I find to be getting very, 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 very popular is the cognitive behavioral uh, intervention, cognitive behavioral therapy, cogn- cognitive behavioral frame of reference or cognitive behavioral approach. Now, there's nothing wrong with this cognitive behavioral approach. But the thing with that is that if you look at the reasons or if you look at the foundations of cognitive behavioral approach, it is saying that the person, you, there is faulty behavior because of faulty thinking. So if you change the way a person thinks or if, if you change the way the person thinks, then perhaps the behavior will change as well. Now, in cognitive disability, here, the behavior is faulty and because there is an organic reason why the person is not thinking straight. So, cognitive disability is actually representing a physiologic or biochemical restriction in the information processing capacities of the brain and because of this it is producing some observable and measurable limitations in routine task behavior so based on this you can then isolate some of the conditions where this would be very useful so the question is what conditions has a brain pathology that is associated with it so you can have schizophrenia for example you can have uh, stroke you can have head injury 
Uh, you have uh, cerebral palsy, uh, children with cerebral palsy who's grown up um, as well. So you can have schizoaffective disorders and you can have uh, primary affective disorders and you can have uh, conditions like drug and alcohol abuse as well, those with developmental disabilities and those people who has AIDS as well, you know, so they have some, some uh, faulty thinking or uh, faulty behaviors because there's an organic reason why they behave in such a way, you know, so their brain's been um, uh, influenced or they, there is a pathological reason why they think the way they do and why they behave the way they behave. So in contrast to the cognitive behavioral therapy, what they would say is you change your behavior by changing the way you think. But then again, in the cognitive disability, you really have impairment with the way you think because there is a reason, there's an organic reason why you cannot think the way you think. All right? So it's really fun, isn't it? So this is, this is just the theoretical basis for this. Now, although with occupational therapy, it was, it was founded on the field of occupational therapy, the cognitive disability frame of reference has derived its theoretical underpinnings from researches in the field of neurosciences. So you have information uh, processing, cognitive psychology, and you can have uh, biologic psychiatry and... and um, yeah, the likes of those sciences as well. Uh, but Claudia Allen, is it's, she's an occupational therapist, if I'm not mistaken, but this is one strong approach for occupational therapists because the proponent of this is an actual occupational therapist. Let's talk about the assumptions of this frame of reference. So what does this frame of reference assumes, yeah? So it is stating that thinking or cognition underlies all behavior. Yeah. So you have a behavior. And again, this is again based on this frame of reference. Okay. So you can argue coming from a different uh, perspective, but this is the argument based on this frame of reference. So this frame of reference believe that cognition underlies all behavior. And that the brain pathology, so if there is a problem with the, uh, with the brain pathology, it will compromise the cognitive process to a manner that can be observed in normal life activities, such as uh, physical disability. And then physical disability uh, restricts the physical ability to perform a motor action, for example. So a person cannot perform motor action because there is a physical disability. A cognitive disability, you know, restricts the person's cognitive ability to perform a motor action. So the co cognitive disability is reflecting the impairment in the cognitive functions that guide the motor actions as well. So these impairments are manifested in difficulties in performing normal life activities. Yeah, so it's like motor planning is affected. So that is another of the assumption of this frame of reference. Another assumption of this is the thought that if you are to assess the cognitive ability of the person, it is best obtained through observation of the person's performance 
in their routine day-to-day task. So again, you you don't do a uh, a battery test, but it's best if you want to find out if something is wrong, it's best that you observe the person on the day-to-day tasks while they are performing their their uh, choice, uh, the, the regular occupation. So you can see that this frame of reference already is a, you know, is very centered in occupational therapy. Another belief of this uh, frame of reference is that the cognition has six levels. And uh, these six levels of cognitive, these six cognitive levels are are quite observable and uh, you can actually follow and you can track a person's progress through through these observable behaviors and later on I'll talk to you about these cognitive levels but before we go to the uh, cognitive levels there are three things that you should be aware of and that you should know as clinicians, yeah? So in every cognitive level that I'll be talking about later on, there are three things that you need to keep an eye on. One is the sensory cues of that cognitive stage, yeah? The second one would be the sensory motor association, and then the last one would be the motor action. So there, okay, just to to summarize, guys, okay, in Alan's cognitive level, and this is really, really exciting, yeah, there are six stages of cognitive levels, and it follows from from the worst, from one being the most... uh, uh, the 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 most primitive or where the person is really not thinking so hard so that's from one all the way to six and you and me everybody who's like normal and uh, you know despite some some character problems we are all most of us are are performing in in the level six we should all be working on the level six but you have to think that in every stages there are a few things that you need to consider particularly every stage has sensory cues so sensory cues are um the information processing so just remember all the information processing begins with sensory input that's coming from the environment so what alan has done is, is she has identified the the, the sources of sensory cues that capture and sustain the person's attention and and those sensory cues that are arising either from the, from their from self or from what they feel in themselves and this includes the subliminal and the proprioceptive cues and those cues that are arising from the environment and this can be tactile cues visual cues auditory cues okay and then uh, you can have some cues that are complex and symbolic. You know, so at a primitive cognitive level, the person can only attend to the internal cues, particularly with what they're feeling in their muscles, musculoskeletal sensations. And at a more advanced cognitive level, the persons can then respond to a more symbolic cues. Okay, so isn't that nice? So you can tell... If you look at somebody who is recovering, for example, or is in the delirious state, 
you know, for example, or after the operation or after, you know, during the acute stage of their head injury, you know, they are, they're not thinking straight, they're not alert, they're not awake. It goes, the sensory cues is all the way from the primitive side, which is only coming from their bodies. And then once they're up and ready and all ready to go, they'll be all on the symbolic cues. So you have three components. You have the, the reflexive cues, okay, coming from the internal world. The next cues would be coming from the physical environment or from external coming to the patient, you know, which would be sensory, uh, sensory cues, tactile cues, auditory cues. And then the last would be like symbols and meanings. So that's a higher level. So that's one of the dimensions, which is the sensory cue. Now, the sensory motor associations are the processes that follow from the sensory cues. Now, this term now refers to the, uh, uh, the, the, the goals that are implicit in performing the action. Okay. So Allen's cognitive disability frame of reference is demonstrating that the implicit goal of the person in performing the action may not be consistent with the explicit goals of the given activity. So for example, a, uh, a person's will pursue activities with varying goals in mind, you know, ranging from the very simple pleasure of moving to uh, those uh, that are... Uh, um, influenced by their interest to an investment of producing a high quality end product. So the problem is that the more primitive the cognitive level is, the person may be able to comprehend only the very basic and very simple motions that are involved in the desired activities, such as the um, just the simple motion of like push and pull and tug and pull, you know, all the way to um, doing some more complex stuff. Okay. Now the last would be the motor actions, and the motor actions are the final stage of uh, when you have to consider and you have to look at somebody's cognitive level. Okay. And uh, again, these are elicited, you know, they can be elicited by sensory cues. It is guided by the sensory motor actions and it can be observed in, when the person is performing their activities. So you have three things that will, that you need to watch for. What are the sensory cues that this person needs? Okay. And what are the actions that they are seeking? And then what are the end product that they are delivering? Okay, right. So that's just, just a theoretical perspective. It's a bit heavy at the moment. Okay, but now we'll go to the cognitive levels. So now we're talking about the cognitive levels here. As I mentioned earlier on, there are six cognitive levels. And these levels is what the person will follow through when they are improving. Okay, so you may want to take note on this. So the first stage is the reflexive stage. The second stage is movement stage. The third stage would be called repetitive actions. The fourth stage would be end product. The fifth level is called variation. And then the last is called tangible thought. Uh, 
Okay, so these are the stages of cognitive levels and your client will fall on one of these six categories. Okay, so earlier on, I mentioned that there are some sensory cues. Okay, so the sensory cues, for example, uh, this is where like sensory cues is where the person is attending to where is the attention focused okay so on the reflexive stage okay on the stage one the person's attention is just focused on internal cues meaning for example they can be just hungry or thirsty or they just want the smell or the taste so have you ever worked with, uh, you know, children, you know, with uh, severe learning disabilities? So they are just probably just responding to thirst, hunger and taste and smell. And on the early days of a head injury, for example, these are the input that you can provide. So if they're not yet awake, they're not yet alert and it's very primitive so you they just might just be responding to these uh like uh, subliminal subliminal cues okay so that's a reflexive stage the second stage after the subliminal uh cues the next input that you would provide is the where the person would attend and this is now the level 2 which is the movement a person will respond to proprioceptive cues, okay? And proprioceptive meaning they have a position and movement sense. And for example, so you can start moving their arms and muscles and joints. because uh, So the movement on its own, if you do some passive stretching and you're stimulating the body, the person might be able to acknowledge those movements and when you move it the brain acknowledges it so on the movement you know when it comes to sensory cues on the movement stage level two the sensory cues are proprioceptive okay so that's the stage two on the stage three now where would the person attend and if you remember the name of the stage three is called repetitive action Okay, meaning so repetitive action. So the person would just be doing things over and over and over again. So the attention is now focused on objects that can be manipulated or surfaces of the objects. Yeah. So if you remember, you know, all of these, what do you call these like twiddle thumbs or twiddle stuff, you know, that a person... They say, you know, people with dementia, then you just give them all of these fidget toys, for example. Yeah, because they are awake, but they're not understanding what's happening yet. But maybe, maybe it's just those twiddle toys or these, these fidget toys. You know, the tug and pull, the repetitive movement is what will get the attention of the person. So you get varying textures and surfaces. You can supply them with you know, again, varying degrees. So it's really up to your creativity on how you want to stimulate the, uh, the, the attention through the tactile cues, yeah? Okay? So that's stage three, repetitive actions. 
on the level four where there is end product, now it becomes the cue that will stimulate the person will be again visible. So what's so the things that they're seeing, okay? So those that are not being seen, it if it's out of their line of sight, they don't pay attention to that, okay? So if you have to get them to do something, make sure that you have a product that is there. So you have to have, if you have to get a person to do some craft activities, for example, make sure that there is a sample product because now you are using the visual subsystem. You are now using the visual cues so that the person will do what needs doing, yeah? Okay, so how does this work? For example, when you are you asking the person to assemble blocks, okay, you have to demonstrate, you have to show a sample block that is on the table so that they can actually copy it. So these are actual visible, visible cues. And this is again at the level four, which is end product, okay? Now on the variations, which is level five, now the sensory cues would be between two or more objects. So now this is more complicated. If you have to assemble tasks, for example, uh, now there's, there's more manipulations involved in here uh, rather than just the visual cues. Um, and uh, you, have, you, have, uh, you now have an option of changing. So if, for example, if I give the person a, a design, a mosaic design, for example, so I'll give him a block of cardboard or a box and then I'll, I'm just sticking you know the objective is to just stick tiles of paper around it so on the level four okay which is a, you know end product person is just copy on copy a direct copy of the product yeah whereas on the level five the person has an option to actually you know uh, do do more you know they, it's the same thing but there is more of a a little variation on that you know they can do their own design yeah and then the last on the tangible thought is symbolic you know you can just say let's make a box i want you to make a box and put some tiles in it do whatever you want to do all right so that is a tangible uh you know thought and it's the the cue again is symbolic so it's more abstract okay you can just describe it. You can just, uh, you know, uh, show them a visual image. This is what I want you to do. Show them a picture of something. And then the person will be able to remember what needs to be done. And then they'll do that. Okay. So these are uh, the, the levels of sensory cues. Now let's go back to, not go back. Now let's move on to the sensory motor action. So from one to six, what is the most basic level? Okay, the most basic level, which is again level one, is the reflexive stage in terms of the goals and purposes. So when we are talking about sensory motor actions, we are talking about the goals and purposes here, okay, of the person. So the first stage is just about alerting stimuli, yeah, because it's reflexive, 
Yeah. And again, their focus and their attention is obtained through sensory cues or internal cues. Your target is for the person or the person is to just um, uh, respond to alerting stimuli, right? So give auditory cues and, you know, let's see, it's just improving their wakefulness, for example, or improving their purposeful responses. You just want to wake them up. Yeah, alerting stimuli is the, the most basic one. On the level two, where it is movement, the, the person's goal now is more about for moving for pleasure, okay, or or to reduce the stress. So if there's any discomfort, you can tell that the person will start to readjust themselves. So there's some movement. So just imagine a, a person with head injury, for example, um, who is in bed, you know, again, not awake, not alert. So that's reflexive stage. And they're not doing anything, but you just want to wake them up. Okay, the next stage that this person would do would be they'd be waking up and then they'd be moving, you know, they'd be fidgeting around, you know, they'd be moving uh, because they are, there's a discomfort there. Okay, now on the third level, which is repetitive action now, so now the the goal would be more particularly with interest. So now that they're moving, then you have your attention now, you can have the interest. So how do you get the interest of the person is the question. Um, for example, you can have, you can, yeah, you know, those fiber optic, uh, fiber optics, all those sensory activities that you see that the children are doing with lights, for example. So there you go. So you get them to have that interest and you want, so the person is now exploring the relationship between the movement and the effect on the environment. So tug and pull activities, tug and pull, you know, these are the things that is now at play when it comes to repetitive actions. Okay. Now on the level four, which is again, the end product stage or level four. Now the sensory motor action is now focused on compliance, meaning that the person is now that your objective would be for the person to be able to follow the procedure to reach a goal. Yeah, step by step procedure. All right. So you have to be mindful of this. And I think this is where the cognitive retraining starts to take place. Or this is where a lot of people think the cognitive cognitive retraining starts. When you start to teach a person single stage command, or double stage command, you know, step by step. So you're already at the end product. So that's a high level already, isn't it? Level five would be variations. And in variations, again, the objective would be about self-control, meaning the person will have to initiate the action to produce the desired effect that they needed to do. So if you have a task that you needed to give to the person, right, so the person will now have to actually, um, they have to initiate it. They don't need guidance. You just show it to them. This is what we need to do. So they will, there is a self-initiation. There is less of the instructions that you need to give. Uh, that's variation. Again, if you have arts and crafts, you have a design. They can 
do something else. Okay. And then the last sensory motor action, uh, in terms of sensory motor action, uh, at the goal would be the highest level is tangible thought. Then it is about reflection. So again, you don't need to have an end product in there, but there here, there are you know new possibilities and alternatives prior to action. So you can start planning. So the person's actually starting to plan. All right. So this is now effective for those people with schizoaffective disorder, for example, or difficulties. So excuse my, uh, you know, if I'm not being politically correct, and I'm sure there are new proper terminologies now. Uh, but those, uh, you know, you can you can you can get a person to start planning. What do they want to do? Um, so it's more about the uh, uh, they can start conceptualizing things, right? Now, going to the motor actions, and uh, so now with the motor actions, you have um, uh, on the, the reflexive stage, so what movement can you observe is the question now, you know, on the different stages. So you get a person to move, and when they move, you can tell what level they are. Okay, I'll tell you what they are. Right, on the very basic, which is again level one, which is reflexive, the the patient is moving spontaneously, okay, or there's just automatic actions, okay? So they don't um, imitate anything. They don't imitate, uh, but it's just automatic actions. So if they're awake, if they are, they're not moving, but they're just, you know, so they just automatically, they just they just do things. So if you present them with food, for example, they just might, they just might eat it straight away. You know, it's a reflexive thing. So you put put the food in their mouth, so it, they start to have that that eating or the um, the, the the sucking reflex, for example, or the biting, the chewing. So it's just basic. Yeah. Okay. Now on the movement on the level two is called uh, the what spontaneous is is about postural actions. And in here, uh, postural actions on the level two, again, it's all about comfort. The stimulation is proprioceptive. So what you can do is you can uh, ap uh, approximate big body movements. So you can you can do some activities that like that, that involves bending and stretching and even pacing. So you can see people with dementia who's walking and they're not doing anything, for example. Uh, they're just wandering all the time. They're just picking things up on the ground, you know. So these are on the level two, which is movement, okay. A level three, which is repetitive action. Again, some of the movement would be manual actions. And in here, with manual actions, you have, um, uh, you know, it's, it's about moving, it's about some projects, about some tasks. So you get them to do something. and But these manual actions, they have to be single, you know, it has to be a familiar. And uh, again, manual actions. So it's a simple, repetitive actions. That's what you give to the patient. And an example of that is like stamping, you know, if you give them something, that's what they do. They just stamp, stamp, stamp. 
okay or they just do just one stroke at a time if they're making some painting so they'll just be assigned on the one part it's just like a the conveyor belt right so that would be the repetitive action now on level four which is again end product the objective is to have a goal directed action right meaning that you can allow them or you can give them some at least two to three familiar directions and then they will do those things so like familiar goal directed actions where you have simple crafts right okay so you have end product and then the level five which is variations so now it's called exploratory actions so a person can now do several steps at a time and they can alternate their actions for producing different effects as well. So you have different designs. It's not just three steps. They can they, they can they can change it and they can be flexible about doing some tasks. And then the last one is tangible thought. In here, again, the person is uh, having a pre-planned actions here. Okay, so they don't need to imitate anything at the moment. Because it's really not required because the person can just start planning. So here, the person would have autonomous actions preceded by reasoning as well. Right. Wow. That Those are very huge levels, isn't it? Uh, six levels of cognitive levels. First one is the reflexive stage. The second one is the movement stage. They just move. The third one is repetitive actions. So push and pull, tug and pull. Fourth one would be end product. So they have an end product at the end of it. The fifth level would be some, there's an end product, but then they can change it. But it's still in the confines of the rule that you give. And then the last would be the tangible thought which is, again, an ab a person is demonstrating some abstract thinking. Now, we will talk about the function and this function continua of this frame of reference. So, this frame of reference, how does one say that something is wrong or something is right with the person? Or, when will this frame of reference be happy, you know, if, if you think about it? Uh, so the function and this function continues. So the, the state of function, so a person would have a function. It will exist when the person's information processing capacities are actually matching the routine task demands of the environment. So that's very easy, isn't it? So again, you can tell that, you know, out in the community, you know, there should not be any problem because they're out in the community. But if they are... Uh, in the hospital and they're still recovering, then there might be a dysfunction. So what is the state of dysfunction? State of dysfunction will exist when the person's information processing capaci capacities are restricted such that the such uh, such as the person like he or she is unable to perform just the basic routine task. So it's simple with this frame of reference. You either do or you don't. If you can't do the simple routine task because you can't problem solve it, then there is something that is just not right, isn't it? Now, uh, if they can't perform the simple routine task, then that's a dysfunction. 
So the six cognitive levels, the best thing about this is that the six cognitive levels, they're actually describing the severity of the disability from, again, from level one all the way to level six. And the levels follow a hierarchy. You know, it's well organized and the person just follows this. Okay. So again, uh, just be mindful of the, the sensory cues that the person need, the sensory motor associations as required, and the motor actions. So really, it's simple, isn't it? It doesn't call for a high or low score with this frame of reference. This frame of reference is talking about can you do it or can you not do it? If you're getting assistance, then you're not doing it. Then there is a cognitive dysfunction. And if there is a cognitive dysfunction, what level is the dysfunction? Do you need some cues? Do you need some instructions? Maybe you're on the stage four, okay, which would have been the uh, the end product, for example, because you're just giving some cues and then the person is changing and adapting themselves, yeah? So that is the function and dysfunction continuum or continuum. Now, every time there is a frame of reference, there's also a behaviors that is, uh, again, in indicative of function and dysfunction, okay? And those behaviors that indicates function and dysfunctions are defined in terms of, again, the information processing uh, capacities of the person, okay? And then they will follow the the level, okay? And... Uh, what else? Um, so there are a number of tools, really, that the, the person do. So again, this is a test. There is a test. It's called Allen's Cognitive Level Test. And this was designed, and it is like, a, uh, what do you call this? Like a, a leather lacing, which is, again, very typical occupational therapy. Uh, there are some limitations on that. It means that the person is actually engaging, isn't it? So on the level one, level two, you cannot do that. But there are some stitches that is out there. So leather lacing, it is really nice, okay? So it's easy. So that would be the outcome measure that you can actually use on that side, okay? Now, how, what's what's the, the postulates regarding the the, uh, the change? How How will we improve the person? And how do we treat and intervene? Okay. So with the cognitive disability frame of reference, there are two primary sources of change in the person's cognitive level and their functional performance. And it can occur within, you know, in, in within the person or, you know, you can have the environment. Okay. So change capacity, how's the person going to change? How are we going to improve cognition? Change capacity is very much influenced by a variety of factors. There's lots of factors, right? The medical intervention. Well, if they're sick, they're sick. They cannot pay attention yet, okay? Um, again, some of the, the medications, psychotropic medications, that will have an influence on the person and again the natural healing process as well 
So you can have that, and this will have an effect on a person's ability to respond or to improve cognitively. Change can also occur when the uh, OT intervention is aiming to teach the person to perform the routine tasks. It has to be done in a routine way. It has to be done consistent, consistent and routine way. But since there is a brain pathology, so you must remember that there could be a limitation at some point. So you cannot aim uh, a, a, a full recovery if the person's been pathologically impaired in a severe way, you know, if the brain is impaired in a very severe way, then you just have to actually compromise and compensate. So one, there is a change in the person. Again, if there's natural healing, good. TIAs, good. You know, stroke, you know, with some level of aphasia, Yes, that would be that would be something, you know, but it can improve as well. Delirium, it might change as well. So there you go. So the change is happening in the person, right? Now, another change is it can happen if there is an environment. There's a change in environment. And this is accomplished primarily when the OT is modifying the task the OT or, you know, yes, you're an occupational therapist. So if you change the task procedures, the directions, the settings, you know, the level of assistance to the person, yeah, then you are empowering the person once you do this. Now, the, the patient's capacity may remain unchanged, you know, it, it, it may be stuck at any level, right? And, uh, you know, um, you know, because they might, you just have to go and stick with a routine, for example. Okay. And uh, again, if they're not able to experience the success, you have to allow the patient to experience the success. Yeah. To this end, the therapist then will have to evaluate the level of disability. You need to assess cognition. And with this level, you're either something is not right or something is. You know, something's not right with your behavior because there is an impairment uh, with the organic level, which is the brain. So assess. And then you then now have to assess what are the tasks that is suitable for this person. Is it going to be sensory tasks only? Is it going to be proprioceptive tasks, simple push and pull? Are you going to start giving some activities as well? So you just need to to adapt uh, and you change the, the task. And then this is again where activity grading will fall in. Always remember that in this frame of reference, you acknowledge that there is something wrong organically. There is a physical reason why the person is not thinking the way they are. And you have to acknowledge that at any point, maybe we are stuck with a level of cognitive disability. And when this happens, your an occupational therapist intent then is to facilitate the person's best performance by just changing the activity rather than changing 
or attempting to change the person. Okay. And again, this will or this is a an actual shift from other frame of reference because other frames of references are restorative in nature, right? This one, you acknowledge something is wrong and you just go with the flow. So this is a, this is cognitive disability, guys, yeah? So in terms of a model, it ties up very well with the model called ecology of human performance, yeah? So ecology of human performance acknowledges that, you know, the context is there might be something not right with the person and the context is there and it's unchangeable and therefore you may have to just, you know, live with it, yeah? And at the end of the day, again, it ties up with the Kawa model as well. But this will be on future discussions. I've had a uh, previous podcast or topic about the ecology of human performance. If you enjoyed this podcast, talk to your friends and colleagues about it. Like it, subscribe, share, and do what you can to appease whatever algorithm that is at play. I am but your humble clinician, albeit with years of experience, I have very little understanding of this digital world. So if you have any questions or if you have topics that you want me to talk about, drop me an email. It's riot.conversations at gmail.com. Just remember, guys, anything you do matters and has an outcome. Until next time, bye.